let me just say before I get into it, you know, I, uh, I love you guys and I have a deep respect for both of you. Alrighty, folks, welcome to Dojo Talks. I think we're going to have a good episode uh, today. Just recently, we opened up the Patreon page to allow people to uh, submit questions that uh, we can address on future shows. Uh, we got a couple good questions already, and we'll be dedicating today's episode um, to one of them on uh, our differences in training philosophy and where we kind of disagree with each other on aspects of chess improvement. Um, before we get into that, of course, you guys probably heard or saw the statement that St. Louis put out where they did a better job of accepting responsibility on the entire Alejandro Ramirez saga. Um, we were talking about that a lot, obviously, in recent episodes. Uh, Chess.com, I forwarded you guys, also put out a statement saying that they're no longer boycotting St. Louis. They're going to be uh, broadcasting U.S. Championship, U.S. Women's Championship, which also coincidentally starts uh, today. So real quick, um, just to start things off with some housekeeping, I want to ask you guys, what did you think about the statement? Was it good enough? Was what was it what you were expecting? Were you expecting something different? It definitely felt coordinated, right? Like the U.S. Championship is about to begin. They're there, I'm sure they're upset that chess.com isn't covering it. And so magically, this statement appears right before, and then chess.com quickly is like, yep, that's good enough for us. So I think that there was probably some behind the scenes negotiation, which I'm fine with, right? Like my whole thing with Lee Chess was like, you guys didn't say what you wanted. Um, <clears throat> now I will say this about the statement. It's a very legally thing. Um, involving essentially like people having to do a lot of training interestingly i was like oh maybe coach is gonna have to do some training man he's working over i did the training time. already i did the training you do a training yeah. right so nice. that to me is kind of maybe okay it feels like i don't know but the, there was never any reckoning of like oh this is what the, these are the people that saw something and maybe should have said something Right. There was never any of that. And I guess for me, that's what I would hope for, because honestly, we're just talking about a bunch of like, now we have this structure in place where it's never going to happen again. And it's like, well, come on, buddy. <laughs> come on. Let's talk about how it happened in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. All the apologies from Randy Bauer at USDF and St. Louis were just stupid, completely stupid and worthless. Oh, come on, David. Oh, we're going to get on the sad communist train already, buddy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you asked us what we thought. It's okay. obvious. It's obvious. It's just stupid. No, Nobody personally took any responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. I can't even remember. I read the whole thing. And I couldn't remember anything. It was like reading terms of service. It mm -hmm. was just blah, blah, you know. I think it was a lot better than, than U.S. chess. U.S. chess was like, we didn't do anything wrong. And the club acknowledged they waited for too long to act mm -hmm. and uh, they should have done something sooner they apologized they said they were you know deeply sorry i agree with you randy's apology felt uh much less way less uh genuine 
Now, let me ask it's you something. Not, it, it's, it's not way less genuine. It's just less skillful. Like, he's just an idiot who wrote it by himself, whereas they had, like, a committee of lawyers draft something that's equally empty, but, like, a little bit more intelligently written. Well, Kosi, you are on the ground there, boss. So just, like, did you feel that this training was, like, actually meaningful or performative? Well, yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was a whole thing. It was, like, a 90-minute, two-hour training um, and everyone has to do it if you're working, uh, I believe if you're working like a U.S. chess event, so like U.S. championship, or if you're working at the club, I believe you got to go through the training. Um, they also hired some new people to handle like HR and complaints and stuff. So people that are like professionals at handling these kinds of issues. Um, so from my point of view, it feels like they took it very, very seriously. And I think part of the reason why it took them so long was maybe because of previous bad legal advice. You know, that's what I get the sense from that U.S. chess statement is that, you know, they had lawyers that tell them you can't take any responsibility. If you take any shred of responsibility that opens you up to like lawsuits and liability. And they were like, we can't do that. And the club totally broke that kind of protocol because they did accept responsibility, you know. So, yeah, I definitely think they... Uh, Maybe enough that there's no, it doesn't open them up to anybody actually pursuing them in any way. You know? uh, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, I know Jen Shahadi shared the statement. She seemed to, uh, she called it powerful. She seemed to like it. Other people as well that were very, very critical of the club uh, seemed to have accepted the statement. So okay. I don't know. I don't do think I it was, yeah, exactly everything everyone was hoping for but i feel like i don't know i wouldn't lump them in with u.s chess as just being like one in the same i think uh there was a vast difference there okay okay all right you say well did, I was, you say, did you learn anything from the training i did i did actually not too much i feel like a lot of common sense was uh you know was already enough but i think i learned uh uh, a couple things, um, mm-hmm. like for example, uh, if someone, let's say, uh, comes to you, with a child specifically comes to you with a complaint or something, uh, you're not really supposed to ask them like any kind of like leading questions. You're supposed to just kind of try to figure out the story, but in a very open-ended way, right? Just kind of ask them like, what happened, and just be like very, very open. Apparently, you're also not supposed to tell them that everything is going to be okay. Like you should just be as neutral as possible and just, just try to be very, very uh, professional. So those, those questions I got wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Most of the stuff was pretty, um, I don't know, as you would expect. uh, Yeah, no, I was just curious. My theory theory on most of these trainings is that they're just a way for some kind of consulting company that put together the training to make a bunch of money off of a bunch of organizations forcing their employees to waste their time in order to say that they've done something to be accountable for something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. But that's <laughs> reason. Apparently I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously, uh, it's not just, uh, yeah, it's not just chess clubs that have to do this. It's like all kind of sporting organizations. Um, mm-hmm. Anywhere where, yeah, you have like athletes and students and um, volunteers and different different people working. 
Um, also, U.S. Championship is starting. Are you guys going to be following that at all? Probably a little bit, yeah. Maybe. Depends whether or not you guys tell me to boycott it or to follow it or to make why, my own decision. Why would that be up to us? <laughs> yeah, last year you were, you were watching it uh, live. We were doing some, uh, some coverage here yeah. on, on the channel. Um, so that was fun. I'm looking forward to it. I feel like this is the most important American tournament of the year. It's historical. You know, the winners, they get their names etched in history. So I'm always uh, super, I, I don't know. I think I'm more pumped about this event than, than any other, actually, as a fan. Are you going to be writing copy for the club about the event? Yeah, I'll be doing the, uh, the recaps. Exactly. Okay, good, good. Yeah, so which gives me, yeah more excuses to follow it closely <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. spend time but did on you that. see that did you see that hikaru is not playing again mm -hmm. that's kind of annoying isn't it um i would definitely have loved for him to play just so the tournament is as you know competitive as possible um but uh yeah i can understand uh that you know he's just not into it he'd rather you know, focus on streaming. This tournament doesn't exactly help him get to the candidates, I imagine, right? He still has other, other avenues there. So I kind of get it. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, then. Well, let's get into the Patreon mailbag. So like I mentioned, we opened up uh, our Patreon page to allow subscribers to ask us questions to get addressed, either like on Dojo Talks, we might do you know, other streams where we like talk about questions and then clip that and, and put it out as content or something. But um, yeah, uh, we already had, we, I think we, yeah, we did this yesterday. We already got a couple of good questions. Um, first one I want to address comes from EJ. And EJ writes, in light of the report by Jeff Sonis on FIDE rating deflation, it'd be interesting to know if there is a similar effect in the USCF system. On the Perpetual Chess podcast recently, Ben Johnson asked Sonus about this, but Sonus said his expertise was only on the FIDE system. Mark Glickman is probably the guy to talk to if you guys want to dig into this topic. And yeah, actually, Jesse, you wanted to maybe have a show about this uh, that report that was done by right. Sonus on the FIDE rating thing. Um, so maybe you mm -hmm. can talk a little bit about that. Personally, this topic for me is... Uh, very uninteresting. Um, like, I get why people are into it, like the whole rating thing or ratings uh -huh. being deflated or inflated, but I just don't see how it has anything to do with uh, chess improvement. I just, like, okay, I'm not a mathematician. I think it's a question for, like, mathematicians and stuff. Uh -huh. From my point of view, it's like, if I want to get better at chess, whether I'm 50 points underrated or not, like, has no bearing on what I need to do to improve. So that's why, for yeah. me, it's just, like, talking about this, I don't know exactly... Yeah, I don't find a lot of personal interest uh, on it, but but maybe you guys do. Okay, so um, I think the reason it's interesting to a lot of people um, is even though I'm mostly in concurrence with my personal view on it, I know that out there there are loads of people who are saying to themselves, oh, <clears throat> if I'm rated 1,900 now, I would have been rated 2,000 a couple years ago, right? And so it gives this uh, either nagging doubt or a justification of being like, oh, I'm actually better than my rating. 
and this is both a comfort and a destruction to the many players who go down this rabbit hole. Um, so that's why it's there's something at stake in this rating deflation. In a broader picture view, though, it also affects, let's say, your quest for the GM title. You know, if it's true that it's 50 points, oh, ghost you, that's a hell of a burden. That's a hell of a cross to bear if it's true. You know, back in the day, it was certainly the case that we would say, like, I got my GM title in 2007, and I would have said, oh, if you got your title in 1980, that's much harder than 2007. And then it seemed to me that the years after 2007, that it was getting easier and easier. But in any case, this the theory is that it's now become harder, and it's especially in the last 10 years that it's happening. And I'm not an expert either. I, I, I didn't push that we do a talks on it because it is so complicated. And it's not just math. It's like a lot of stats and a lot of arguments. And but but the basic phenomenon, as far as I understand it, we'll just put out the basic phenomenon, is that if you have a gazillion people entering the lower ranks at the same time, and this is not just pandemic, but also Indian kids. So this is why it's a worldwide phenomenon in US chess. I think it's going to be similar, but maybe not as intense as FIDE, because FIDE is being influenced by this huge influx of like Indian children who are actually probably at least 1600 strength, but have the rating of 500, right? And so then you have like real concerns about rating deflation. And so that's what they're talking about. And I think we should do a talks on it if FIDE moves ahead with the new proposal. Whether the proposal is correct or not, it also has a huge political burden uh, because that will affect how titles are done, you know, like will Coaster achieve the GM title or not? It, part of it depends on this on this <laughs> ruling. Will Magnus ever have a chance to reach 2800? It kind of has that will affect that kind of decision. So it's not entirely uninteresting, Kostya. Okay, there's something at stake. It's just really hard mathematically to break it down. Yeah, there's there's one other thing at stake. Um, although I'm not, you know, really pumped up about ratings. But another thing that's at stake is, you know, some people use their rating for some ego stuff, but other people, it's a it's a measure, right? That's, that's why the Polgars did chess, right? Because their father would be able to measure whether or not they were geniuses mathematically. And if the rating system didn't have any stability, he wouldn't have been able to measure it, right? But because the rating system was relatively stable over, you know, a 10-year period, right. he could make measurements. Um, so if somebody's doing a bunch of work uh, over a period of two to three years, it's useful for them to know if they're getting better or worse or how the work is is landing and affecting their performance, you know, without getting too caught up in, you know, am I a genius or an idiot? Should I love myself or hate myself? You know, right, just, right. just as, just as a measure that can be of some use. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I would agree that there's, there's certainly stakes to it. It's definitely like an important topic and I'm glad mm -hmm. that like smart, like math and stats people are working on it. Yeah. I just don't mm -hmm. see what we can contribute to the conversation other than saying like, yeah, kids are underrated. It's very annoying to play underrated kids. And then, you know, beyond well, that, it's like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like my lane at all, even though it's uh, adjacent to chess. It's not super lane, but we get asked about a lot of chess topics that, you know, we may have 1% knowledge to share on it or, or not even <laughs> at times, right? Well, I think um, where we do have some definite knowledge is to say uh, 1900 does not feel like a 1900 20 years ago. 
that's what I was going to say is like, I do think that there is something we can contribute, which is, you know, Costa, you're out there every day playing with people in tournaments. Like, you know, you're, you're a free, you're a free dude. You're going around playing chess over the place. So you see people and you see how strong they are and you see their ratings. And uh, one thing you probably see is, you know, what's the spread between the USCF and FIDE ratings? And you probably don't spend a lot of time pouring over people's ratings because you don't care that much. But, you know, normally it's in the 75 to 100 point range. And if FIDE ratings deflated a bunch without USCF ratings deflate, then you would have seen the FIDE ratings sort of converging pretty close to the USCF ratings. Like the difference would be maybe 25 points now instead of 80 points. Um, so you might have some insight off of that. My general feeling is like everybody seems super strong. I've only played, you know, a few people, but the people I played, whether you look at their FIDE or their USCF, it just seemed like everybody was much stronger, new tons of stuff. So yeah, no, I I would say the level of knowledge has definitely improved, and um, the the skill level has also improved, and also the mindset has improved. Like nowadays, you look at any open tournament, you look at round one, there'll be huge upsets. You know, some 2200 beating a 2600 GM, some grandmaster losing in 15 moves, like draws and stuff, tons of scalps. In the past, all the GMs would just stay on the top boards till like the final rounds. You know, it was just mm. like, it was very rare. You But now it's like, you see it all the time. And I think it's taught these kids that they don't have to be afraid of the title players, uh, which is very annoying. I hate that, you know, we taught that to them. <laughs> And also on the knowledge thing, it's like, yeah, now there's obviously widespread access to opening databases and engines and books. And so people are in general, I think, just like improving their level. Um, but again, in terms of like the, the practicality of it, it's like, I mean, we're all in, under the same system. So if you want to improve, you have to outwork your your peers like the people around you you have to work harder than they do train more in order to actually go up and that i don't think has ever changed i feel like that's just stayed the same oh of course yeah that's the same but interesting question maybe we'll um yeah, we might do delve it. into it more um let's let's go to the next question we were all very excited for this next one as soon as we this get. is the main question of the day <laughs> as soon as uh, yeah we got it um, all right, so this one comes from Timothy Seltzer, who asked, what chess training advice, i.e. not the greatest player ever, obviously Philidor, do you disagree on most profoundly with each of your fellow senseis? And how is that tension reflected in the current dojo training program? Um, okay, so great question. I feel like we should, um, so we're each gonna pick a bone with one of the others, right? And I imagine we're just going to take turns, right? So one of us goes first, and then we'll just go around in uh, in a circle. Does that sound Does that sound good to you guys? Now, Perfect. is this like um, okay? I think I understand. Cool. And I, I imagine you guys have I because I got some beef with you guys. <laughs> oh pick. dang! I, I hope you guys are are ready as well. <laughs> oh, Timothy, buddy. I didn't realize it was going to get so violent. He said he just wants some. He's, wow, man. <laughs> he, he, he threw a bomb into the middle of the dojo. <laughs> I think. And he brought he his popcorn threw, with him. I think he threw a match. I don't think he threw a bomb. I think he threw a match <laughs> to light it up. Um, Jesse, why don't, why don't you start us off? You have no issue casting Jesse's uh, shame. Sure, Jesse's not 100% sure how it works, Costa. You can kick us off. 
Okay, I, I can start if you guys okay, want. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let me just say before I get into it, you know, I, uh, I love you guys and I have a deep respect for both of you. Okay, I just want to say that just so we're all clear, because sometimes we get comments on YouTube. It's like, wow, do these guys hate each other? It's like, no, no, like, we're a family. Sometimes families argue, you know, uh-huh. oh, shit. Okay. and I think you guys are both tremendous chess teachers. He's really going to let us have it. <laughs> And, and obviously, you know, we've been doing dojo for like almost, I mean, more than three and a half years now. Okay. So I wouldn't have never have teamed up with you guys if I didn't have a great respect for your chess and your chess teaching philosophy. And that was the reason why, you know, we all kind of teamed up was because we, we do, we do share a lot of core beliefs um, when it comes to chess training. So we agree, I think on a lot of important stuff, but when it comes to some things, you guys, in my opinion, are very, very dogmatic, honestly, almost fascistic, you know, and, and it's a problem because I know if you guys had chess students that were overly dogmatic, you know, this is where I'm trying to approach you guys, mm-hmm. you would tell them like, no, actually you got to open yourself up to like different perspectives. You can't just be so strict, you know, on, on, on what you believe in. You have to be willing to change your mind, right? When, mm-hmm. and consider different ideas. Okay. So, Let's start with Jesse. Jesse, <laughs> you're crazy <laughs> when it comes to the time controls in the program. So right now, like we have these required time controls, okay? If you're 1600 and up, your classical games have to be 90 plus 30 or higher. If you're 1200 to 1600, you gotta be, your games have to be 60 plus 30 or higher. 60 minutes, 30 second increment. 800 to 1200, our requirement is 45, uh, 30 or 45, 15. And then under 800, the classical games have to be at least 30 minutes for each side with a 15 second increment. Now, in general, we all agree that classical games is the way to improve. Like that's the most important part of chess improvement. But the practicality is driving people insane. So I'll give you guys a couple of examples. Number one, you have the Lee Chess 45-45 league. So it's a game in 45 minutes plus a 45 second increment. These are good, high quality games. This is a great league. We at the dojo have a hard time running tournaments because number one is all the same people playing each other. So they're just constantly playing each other, taking each other's rating points. Number two, people have difficulty scheduling with each other. So it's great if there's like more players and like an organized league. So this is a great league, but our members in the 12 to 1600 cohorts can't play it, or at least they don't want to because those games don't count for the classical time requirement, because 45 plus 45 is a little bit less than 60 plus 30 when you add up all the times and increments together. And to me, this is kind of a shame because, you know, would you rather have someone play a 45 minute game or just play two hours of blitz or do nothing or do two hours of puzzle rush, right? I think we'd all rather them just play that like one game that's still serious. They can have like a nice postmortem and then analyze it. And we can still like strongly suggest that they play the 60 plus 30 and we can add in all the disclaimers we want. Like, you know, you can count these 45 minute games, but we would really suggest something higher rated. And you guys know people don't have time for classical games like all the time, right? People have jobs, kids, right? It's like, that's one of the biggest complaints people have about the program is that they often don't have time to dedicate like a three or four hour chunk to like the classical games that we're asking them to. Another, you know, crazy requirement is that like 
we're just so stringent that it has to be 90 plus 30 and like not anything less. A lot of people have like a local club that maybe does like a G75. And according to us, it doesn't count, right? So they, they're not able to play that like OTV game and have it count for anything. And so they're not doing OTV. <laughs> it's just like, it's just a shame. It's like, and they end up doing less chess work than they would otherwise. So what I'm asking of Jesse is to just be like a little bit more understanding, right? Of the fact that people have very tough schedules. They want to get their classical games in, but we're just saying like, no, those games don't count. And yeah, I think that's a shame. Okay. This was also what I was going to bring up with Costa, Jesse. <laughs> just gonna let you roll buddy i was gonna say this of you go <laughs> i'm not i'm not very confident that we're right but we are two to one against him on this uh-huh. yeah <laughs> which is which is i just um this is i mean i think this is the most fundamental thing to the program that we've disagreed on is uh that, that i've disagreed on with kostya is the time control and in this case i was on on, on jesse's side with it um, which was to not make concessions, uh, and uh, because then where where does it stop? You know, you need to actually have a line of demarcation, and if you're wishy-washy, and then you know take another ten minutes off, and then once the real line is seventy-five minutes, then why not sixty minutes, and why not fifty-five minutes with a five-second delay, and why not forty-eight minutes plus seven-second delay, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's fine for people to go play a forty-five, forty-five game and you know we would encourage them to do that over puzzle rush etc there's all kinds of great stuff you can do for your chess it's just not all going to mark points for you and if we're talking about the 90 plus 30 these are people over well we don't have to we don't have to hash out the argument now i'm not very confident we're right but i think we're right you know it's like like it's very hard for somebody over 1800 to make progress just very very hard and there's all kinds of things they can do to work on it and you can play training games that are faster they're probably not going to get you there, but go for it. So really, this uh, complaint is against both of me and David, because I think yeah. me and David are kind of one mind on this. And by the way, at the dojo, the only reason the dojo exists is because when it comes to matters like this, it's three votes. And then just who's ever outvoted just swallows it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how bad you feel. You got to swallow it. And Kostya has swallowed this. And I didn't realize the anger and resentment that just came <laughs> pouring out and being bottled up by me and David's two to one vote. Oh man, it's been really brutal for Kostya. So at the very least, this airing of grievances has allowed Kostya to let this out into the open. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, the rules are rules and it's two versus one, it's two versus one, right? So I'm not gonna just like complain, you know, every single week about it, like just cause I, I disagree with it. But this, this episode seemed like a good moment. <laughs> <laughs> To, re- to bring it right, up. Well, I, I'm willing. I'll tell you what, though. I will at least. I will reflect on. It. I will reflect. Thank yeah, you. and and this what comes from you know many comments in the Discord of people saying like exactly this. They would want to go play like their OTV club game, mm-hmm. but because it doesn't count for the program, you know, it's just they're much less motivated uh, to do so. And let me just reiterate: we can keep the exact same requirements, right? But like we've done with other parts of the program, we often tell people like, look, you don't have to follow this 100%. But if you don't, then it's on you, right? You can't come crying to us like, oh, I'm not improving when you like you're not following our, our tips and advice, right? 
So we do yeah, offer I mean, some leniency. Themselves, right? I mean, they could play a 90-minute game without the 30-second increment, and then they could go and check the box for themselves. Yeah, but under our current you know, system, that would be actively... Yeah. Deceitful. But then we don't guarantee the results, right? Okay. Right. But uh, at least we could say like that it's it's still better than uh, you know not not playing the classical, playing blitz instead, you know, not doing any chess work instead. Is it is it unclear that Jesse and I think that a forty five minute game is better than another puzzle rush? Is that unclear to anybody? Well, in the eyes of the program, those are equally worthless because they don't get any points. And we have this whole dojo points thing, you know. But, but I mean, you know, David, let's 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 le let's leave it. We can talk about this okay. forever. Let's leave. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, there's not good. not gonna be back and forth. All right. <laughs> we can do it back and forth. Right. But I mean, that we can talk about that. We got to be a whole dojo uh, podcast right there. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, yeah, we could offer partial credit, half points. I mean, I think there there are, um, yeah, there are reasonable reasonable solutions here. Um, okay, well that was that was my first thing. Okay. I'm glad I got that off my chest. Sure. I mean, it's not guaranteed that you're wrong, Coast. It's not guaranteed. That yeah, you're sorry. I, I also just wanted to bring up this point. It's never been studied that 90 plus 30 is the minimum time control for improvement. That's just our intuition, right? It's never been studied in a scientific way which time controls are better. We all intuitively think longer is better, but it's not actually. Like, it's not clear at what point you get the system to thinking and then when it becomes blitz. But I think we're agreed that it has to be system to thinking. I think we yes. are agreed there. And so, like David said, we can continue diluting it down and down and down. But for those players who aren't already doing system to thinking, it's we're just enabling them not to do it because system to thinking is hard, right? And so that's why we've kept up the standards. Right. Me and David have said, no, go see, you shall not pass, dude. And yes, we could dilute it some more. We could, of course, we could dilute it some more. But part of the problem is most of these people are playing online and it's so hard to get system two thinking even being online because you're distracted by a million different things. So, right. What the program is saying is, boss, you must find a way to do system two thinking. And a longer game is honestly your best chance to do it. All right, let's go on. All right, David, you got a grievance against me, Kostya? Well, maybe, um, maybe Jesse, you should go because that was me. Uh, my grievance is going to be the same for both of you, so you might as well have David go. For <laughs> All right. Um, what I agree, what I disagree with Jesse most on is the notion that like everything has to be a competition for people to like put in real effort and bring out the best of them. Mm. Um, and so, so this, this comes up most in like the sparring thing, right? That's the thing where, um, where I got outvoted on something, which I'm not bitter about, but, um, but uh, for the sparring, I thought that, you know, we would tell people, here's a certain position, you know, practice it X number of times, where like X could be eight, but you could also say six or 10 or whatever, right? But, you know, practice this position eight times against somebody else, you know, talk together about it in between and keep going uh, from there. 
And Jesse wanted it to be like you have to sort of win a match with somebody to show that you have learned that position. I think that has some logistical like X's and O's impracticality in addition to being not necessarily critical for everybody. Like I think some people work fine uh, in a more collaborative approach and other people, you know, maybe would benefit more from Jesse's approach of there being something at stake. But I think there's some variation in it. And uh, yeah, you know, pe- people are different. I think a lot of people can can uh, can work together and also improve. So I had a different conception on that. I feel like Costia was a little bit closer to, to neutral on that one and voted with Jesse, but didn't have as strong or dogmatic or well, I'm not going to repeat Costia's F word. Didn't have as <laughs> dogmatic a, a take on it, um, but was somehow swayed by Jesse on this one. Yeah, I would say I'm not. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I see both sides of it. Like, I think there's lots of chess improvement that can be done in a non-competitive asp- environment, but I also think it's fun when things are gamified, and that I definitely see the benefits of the uh, added motivation there. So, on yeah, I'm definitely kind of fifty-fifty on this one. Yeah, I can see it helping some people, but um, I mean, as you know, there were some positions where I think like you know, it's a win or a draw. You just have to prove it, right? And I had goals like win this position three times in a row, but there were others where it's like just play it eight times. You know, if you, if you can't beat your your cohort members in this particular end game, like note that it's a weakness, but you don't have to keep getting beat down forever. <laughs> anyway. Okay. I guess it's my turn. Um, Jesse, okay, you so didn't want to both. respond to that one or? Oh no, I, I, I think uh, I'm, yeah, we have a fundamental difference there and I'm happy with that. Um, I do feel there is very much space in the program for non-competitive collaboration, though. We have uh, people meeting to do book groups. We have people doing postmortems. We have people analyzing uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, and, and that is a beautiful thing. I'm definitely not opposed to that. But in terms of when you, let's say, prove that, let's say that you know the Rook endgame progression. No, you got to prove that against somebody of your own level. Same thing for all the algorithms. You know, it's a competitive process where you are learning something that you will then have to also prove in a competitive space. Right. So, um, you know, will I if you guys wanted to come about some individual thing and be like, dude, we need to make this non-competitive, I would be happy to, you know, talk about it. But in general, like most of these things, these tests that we have, yeah, I feel they need to be they need to feel like an actual chess game. I think a lot of chess players who benefit from competition are also naturally competitive. And so even if we tell them, like, you're just playing eight games, they're going to try to, uh-huh. you know, with the plus score against their adversary. And anyway, cool. yeah, that's how it is for now. Okay, I just want to begin by saying I love you guys. We're family. <laughs> All right, let we us go back a ways, you know. After this, Jesse. hopefully, we'll still be friends. You know, okay. I think we, we already know what this is going to be, but go on, go on. I, I don't know. Well, maybe you guys see this is for both David and Kosi have the same problem. <clears throat> okay, so let me back it up a little bit and say 
taking Kosi and David out of the equation for a second, the biggest problem for chess improvement advice in general out there is not the specific pieces of advice, but the fact that you go on YouTube or some blog or some Twitter post, and they're always saying things like, this is what you need to do. And the individual suggestion might be in itself fine, but the problem is <clears throat> that when people get these individual suggestions, they don't have a program to follow because they're distracted by like, oh, this dude said this, other person said this, and then they're just all over the place and they don't have a path. Whereas the, what the program is really doing is it's saying, look, you can argue about maybe we don't have the exact best path. We can argue about it all day long. But the fact is we have a path. And if you trust the program, you don't have to, your mind, <laughs> your mind is taken out of the equation of all the worry and fret about what I should do. And instead of these different pieces of advice that have nothing to do with where you are in your chess game, the program tells you pretty well, like if you're at 1600 boss, this is what you need to do. So <laughs> my critique on David and Costa is they themselves have yet to learn to trust the program. They do not trust the program and they are spinning their wheels all over the place, not trusting the program, doing this, that, and the other thing, fully distracted. And one of the great things that Jack, our programmer did, is he now has really shamed people, man. And you can see if somebody has not done something in the last seven days, you can see if they haven't done something in the last 30 days. And I will tell you right now, my dear friends, Kosi and David have been negligent and they're going off and they're doing all these other fancy things. Okay, so then the problem becomes a couple things. For one, in terms of the program, it sets a bad example. And I do think, and I believe this, this is, goes beyond just the training program, that whenever I've been a chess teacher, when I haven't been actively studying myself, I feel like a hypocrite or maybe even like I shouldn't even be there. I have like some kind of complex about it. And I think rightly so. I feel like you should really be working on your game if you were going to be teaching somebody. So there's that. And also just as a fan of you guys, I am convinced that Kosia needs to become a GM, not just for his personal sense of self. And at least the very least needs to have been be able to look back and say, I really gave it everything I had. And he's kind of like, you know, dude's around 30 now. It's like now is the time. If it's it's not gonna get any easier. And so by following the program, dude could make it to GM. But dude is not following the program. And I'm concerned dude is not gonna make it to GM. And therefore it's a big problem. Bruce is in a slightly different circumstance where he says he's not trying to make GM. He says he's kind of retired. But I have said ever since Proust kind of gave up that dream, I would say 2008, 2009, that I've always said that he was going to come back to it because it's one of the things about chess players is there's something so beautiful about the game that you can try to, you can try to quit chess, but I'm not sure chess is going to quit you. You know what I'm saying? So um, even in David's case, I feel like there's, still the there's going to be at some point either regret or the need to come back and do it and the training program is 
the path to do it. And of course, also just if we're going to do the training program, you should do it to set an example, but also just to understand the program, right? Okay, so there it is. There's my critique on both of these. Okay. Well, that's I mean, fair. There's mainly... Sorry. Go ahead, David. <laughs> I, I agree with the whole idea that, you know, to be a chess teacher, you mostly need to also be studying and, and striving yourself. And even if you don't need to, like maybe, it, you know, maybe without studying like themselves anymore, a grandmaster could still be a better teacher than somebody else who'd never taught chess and never been a grandmaster, et cetera. But, you know, it'll certainly bring up the best in you when you're when you're working on your own game. You'd be a much better teacher. I agree with that. Um, but uh, in my case, there are two major deviations from the program, but I am mostly following the program, but the, the deviations that, you know, I just don't have much time uh, to do it, you know, so I, and I don't have a goal of becoming grandmaster because I know I don't have the time. It's not realistic, right? Like I haven't played a chess tournament in 13 months, right? And I can't. I just I just literally can't. And if I can't play a tournament, then I'm not going to become a GM. So you have to make a goal that's realistic for you. I'm trying to improve at chess all the time, but I'm also always getting worse at chess as well in between the times when I do the work to improve, right? So I have to have like a more realistic goal that I'm, you know, working on it when I can and trying to improve in the ways that I can. Um, uh, so that's like one element. And then I think like the main thing, like I disagree on and it didn't rise to be like my number one bone of contention. But when I was thinking of this question, the number two bone of contention is like, I, I think that most of the high levels need a thing where you can just solve, uh, you can just do tactical exercises that are appropriate to your level. That's that's the extra work I do that's not in the program is that and I do that. Um, I don't have the made in twos book and I don't think it's necessarily better than than, you know, doing the calculation work that I do. And I think the calculation work I do is is missing, like for most of the upper levels the tactics are just out of a certain number of books. But if you finish those books, what are you supposed to stop solving tactics? I think that um, a certain amount of calculation, a, a you know, a consistent regimen of calculation is super valuable and something that we should add to the higher levels of the program. And then I won't be straying once we add that. Okay. Well, for me, there's a couple of things here. So there's there's two aspects to this. One is uh, how much time and effort I'm putting into improving my chess, just in general. And then number two is like how much I'm following the program. So definitely think the first point is kind of more important. In terms of following the program, I've always had the issue that the three of us decided what the three of us need to do to try to get to 2,500 feet. To me, that's intuitively never felt sound. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've never trained someone to GM level. I've trained people to like master before, you know, and up through the club ranks, but I don't actually think I know, right? Like what it takes to get to, to GM. So like we came up with the program 
And I do believe in a lot of aspects of it, like the sparring, you know, I think you got to work on all your stuff. You got to analyze your games. You have to read lots and lots of books. Um, but yeah, whether I'm doing the books that we chose or whether I'm doing books outside the program, to me, it's like, I don't see why that's such a big deal. Like, I'll give you an example. I've been doing like uh, for the past I don't know, week or so, I've been doing two hours of the new uh, Shanklin calculation book every day. Just like two hours solving problems from that book. And it's hard. I, you know, I miss. I've worked on the same book. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> that book's not I've in our program. the exact same violation. <laughs> <laughs> that book's not in our program. That's a very tough book. I honestly, it's not my favorite. Like, a lot of the puzzles, you know, I see the solution and it's, um, okay, it's not, it's not time for the book review, but like, you know, the, the players in question, like all the examples are taken from top level games like MVL, Carlson, all these strong grandmasters, Van Forest, Wesley. So no one ever finds the solution in the game. It's always stuff that was like found by the engine, you know, none of these top players ever find it during the game, right? Um, and so it's very, very tough, but some of the problems are dual. So anyway, that's one example, right? I was also reading this uh, new Jan Marcos book that he wrote with David Navarre. I actually went, went through the whole thing, right? So I'm reading like books that are outside the program. I don't think that's like the biggest crime uh, in the world. So for me, I think the bigger question is the other thing that Jesse brought up is just like how, I guess, how motivated I am in terms of actually achieving the, uh, the GM goal. And uh, honestly, it is tough. Like, you know, uh, I've long believed that to make the most chess improvement possible, the chess kind of has to be like your main thing. It has to be your main focus. And I remember when I was like 2360 feet A and I was fighting for IM norms and uh, I was working very, very hard. And I ended up going up to like 2420. And I remember during that time, Chess was absolutely my number one passion. Like I would wake up hungry to study chess. I, all my other obligations were just done in service to be able to get back to studying chess. And I would do like several hours a day. I would do, you know, solving studies, working on my openings, watching courses, reading books. You know, I just loved it, right? I, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. And of course I improved a lot like by, uh, by doing that. I also had a roommate, you know, master level player. So we were working a lot together. These days when I wake up, honestly, like my my main passion is like for the dojo, you know, and I, I do a lot of work just like running the dojo and it has nothing to do with my own chess improvement. It's just things like managing the discord, managing the YouTube channels, managing our content, our Twitch, our Patreon page, our Twitter. You know, we have like social media platforms now, Instagram, TikTok. Thankfully, over the last couple of months, I've been able to like delegate a lot of that stuff out so now we have great people like doing work that in the past i was doing right so i don't know for me it is very tough to focus on chess improvement because it's like i i'm just not able to have like two two main things in my head it's either i'm all in on the chess improvement or i'm not all in but it's like only one can really be the main focus you can't have two main focuses that's not how main focuses work so you know, it's uh, it's kind of a mindset struggle. Obviously, I'm playing a lot of chess, as you guys know, so I'm still very much interested. And uh, one thing I have been working on as of late, like last, I don't know, couple months or so, um, that I think is important is I started like working out and exercising more because I was reflecting on it and I strongly feel like in terms of my 
chess knowledge, I'm way ahead of where I was a couple of years ago. My rating has been pretty much the same. Maybe it's the rating deflation. I don't know. Um, I do think keeping your rating these days is kind of an achievement. <laughs> but um, in terms of my knowledge, I feel way ahead. But it, in terms of like my skill level, you know, I started. I find I started finding myself like blundering more in tournaments, like making mistakes. To me, it's felt like a lack of energy. And then I can feel it during the tournaments. You know, during the later rounds, I just get tired demotivated. I don't want to fight anymore. I don't defend as well as I could be defending. And I kind of feel like that's like a physical thing. So I have been trying to like improve my physical shape, you know, in order to improve my tournament performance. So yeah, I would say, um, number one, yeah, I definitely still, you know, very much am in pursuit of the goal, but yeah, you know, it's uh, I mean, OK, obviously I don't have kids like you guys, but for me, you know, the dojo like that's that's my baby. <laughs> it's like that's what I'm that's what I'm constantly focused on. So that's my defense. Yeah. Let me just yell at you a little bit, Cozy. I'm going to make this gentle. OK, look, uh, <clears throat> I think reading outside books is fine, especially if you have an eye to being like, oh, maybe they should be in the program. Like Knows Knows All, Michael Franco recommended this book, Strategic Chess Exercises. So I've been doing that a little bit. Fine, fine. I don't have any problem with that. Where I have a problem though, boss, is you haven't put any games up into the dojo database. You haven't been sparring. And that's what you need to become a GM. Further, yes, like we haven't trained any become anybody to become a GM. I trained myself to become a GM. Sure, I sure. know what it takes. <laughs> I know what you need to do, boss. It's actually not that hard. And I can see, I can feel your distraction, dude, doing all this other stuff. So I'm just saying it's there and you can do both. The, I, by the way, you're doing great work. I love what we're doing with the dojo. I'm with you all hundred percent, but I feel like it's almost, it, it's not almost, it is part of our thing to also be participating in the dojo. It's, you know, it's both as a player, yes, it's gratifying to have success, but also to be a participant in the thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, on the game analysis thing, right, I have been struggling with the annotation of games. Not sure exactly why. I used to annotate my games uh, quite a bit. I would, like, annotate every game. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's... That's been a weird block for me. I definitely do mean to upload. Like I have a bunch of games analyzed. It's just, I don't know, for some reason it's hard. I, I am a perfectionist. So for me to upload a game, it has to be like, oh, it's a hundred percent done. And that's, yeah, that's a hard point to get to. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I uh, point taken there for sure. Did you recently get mated? Well, it's time to join the Chess Dojo training program. Or maybe you just enjoy this fine content. Give us some money on the Patreon. I need to keep the lights on. And with inflation, it's really hard for Kostya to be buying that avocado toast. Okay. All right. That was intense. That was intense. David, you still haven't yelled at Kostya, dude. I don't think. Have you I already yelled at him? I don't have anything to yell at him about. <laughs> I, like, my main disagreement <laughs> with him is about the time controls. And I'm oh, okay. strongly convinced that I'm right. I just, you know. Yeah. I mildly tend to think that I'm right about it. Okay. Well, I still have one for David. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I did one for Jesse on the time controls. So for David, 
David, I think your approach um, to, to engines and engine use is way, way too dogmatic. Yeah. Um, and so if I understand correctly, you think Why players... is this not fascist? No, yeah, fascist, dude. You began with fascist. So far, I haven't heard anything fascist, dude. <laughs> I just mean, you know, stringent, you know, just very strict. Dude, you're like Putin talking about the Ukrainians, man. Okay. Take it easy. <laughs> Fascists aren't just stringent, they will also genocide you. Yeah, yeah, of course you guys aren't aren't full. Okay, anyway. <laughs> just the word. It was just the word. Um, so if I understand David's position correctly, he believes that if you're under somewhere around 2200, you should yeah. not be using engines at all, like yeah. for anything. Maybe maybe when I first took that position, I hadn't taken into account deflation, so we could say you know twenty one fifty or twenty forty or something. But but something, yeah. I mean, there's there's a line where it's you know uh, I think a disservice to people. Okay, and while I definitely agree with like the spirit of your position, so like if mm -hmm. I could strongman your point of view, it's like the engine definitely confuses people, and a lot mm -hmm. of. Um, especially lower level players, like under a thousand, under 1200, um, when they use the engine, it, it's like they're, they might not even be capable of understanding like what the engine is actually telling them. And it you, creates you this kind of like- argument all the way up to 2000, 2100-ish coast. Yeah. And that's like, I really, I don't think that they even understand what the engine's saying. Fair. And, and so they get this like kind of false sense of learning where the engine tells them some evaluation and some position and they think they took something away from that. Whereas in reality, they actually they actually got got nothing out of it. Right. They're never going to use that piece of information ever again. And it doesn't help them actually improve their chess. And I definitely sympathize with that. I think like for all players, the, the way to improve your chess is you have to work on your own analytical skills, your ability to look at a position, analyze variations, try to come up with the best moves for both sides, try to evaluate the position properly. You have to do that work yourself. Yep, I, I agree with you too. Great. Thank you. <laughs> okay, but on that, I feel like there is some, there is some room there. And, and I don't think you have to be like 2000 or 2200 to be able to work with an engine intelligently. So a good rule of thumb that I would suggest to people is that like, if you can't explain in your own words why the engine is saying something, why the engine is giving an evaluation, then you haven't truly understood the position, right? So if you can't explain why in this equal material position, the engine is saying plus three, you know, if you can't explain, it's because of this plan and white's gonna break here and then win and break through and crash and win material here. If you can't explain it, or you can't explain the concrete variations yourself, Black has this move that attacks this thing, you have to defend it like this, and then there's this move and that wins two pawns. Then I would agree, like you didn't actually get what the engine is telling you and then it's not it's not useful, maybe even actively harmful. But I feel like there is, again, a way to work with the engine intelligently where you're you're sparring with it, you're challenging its evaluation. So you're not just blindly assuming that everything the engine says it's true, especially if you're working with like a browser engine like on chess.com or leeches, those tend to not even be uh, very, very strong. Uh, actually, okay, I had a funny moment on stream recently where I was on Chessable doing Van Perlo's Endgame Tactics, which is in the program, by the way. And uh, my solution ended up in this Rook and Pawn Endgame 
that I knew 100% is winning, and they told me it's wrong. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And then I checked it with the engine, and the engine also was saying it's wrong. And then it turned out the engine uh, was just at a low depth. And then I just played through the moves, and sure enough, the eval went to you know plus 50. So I was totally right, right? So these engines, okay, like they they can't actively just give you wrong information if you're not using them correctly. But again, I feel like there is there is room there, and the engine can save uh, a lot of time, um, especially like you know if someone wastes 30 minutes banging their head against the wall because they can't figure out a puzzle, and it turns out that puzzle is way too hard for them or maybe there wasn't even a solution in the first place. And it's like that engine could have saved them some time uh, if they were you know, willing to check it. The other thing is just the practical aspect. You know, Engines are very widely available. People are going to use engines to aid in their training. So to just say like, no, don't ever do it, it's like, that's asking a lot of people. Uh, I think that's really asking uh, a lot. And we should, instead of just saying, you know, never use engines ever, which I think no one is going to be able to follow. I think we should just educate people on how to understand when the engine is useful and, and when it's not right. It'd be like if a workout coach, you know, was telling you like, you know, just like you can't eat any junk food ever, just zero junk food at all. And that's probably like good advice, but you also have to realize that like very few people are going to be able to follow that. And then when they can follow that, then they just, you know, the diet just goes off the rails for a lot of folks. Um, so I feel like we have to we have to work with people. The other thing I want to bring up is our eval bar policy. We have a policy. It's like no eval bar on the stream. And again, I agree with kind of like the spirit of this, but the eval bar. I just want to bring up the point. It, it actually brings a lot of people into the game. So, for example, if you have someone who's very new, who's like a total beginner, they can look at the eval bar and at least get a sense that they have some idea about what's going on into the position. When we do commentary and there's no eval bar, there's no anything, what often happens, as I imagine, people come into the stream, we're talking about some Carlsbad thing. Oh, this Carlsbad position, I think it's a better version because the bishop's on f4, not on g5. They're just going to tune out. They don't even know what the Carlsbad is, right? We can't stop every two seconds and explain to people you know, exactly what's going on. So a good commentator, in my point of view, can use the engine and still make things incredibly instructive for people without just overly relying on it and just constantly saying, oh, this is what the engine thinks, this is what the engine thinks. And a good example of that is uh, Daniel Nerditsky, you know, a friend of ours. Um, he's one of the best commentators out there, in my opinion. And when he's on chess.com, I think he's pretty much always using the eval bar. That's their policy. And he makes things incredibly instructive. Like when I watch him, I learn tons of stuff and he's strong enough to explain to the viewers when the engine is giving some nonsense that shouldn't be paid attention to, and when it actually you know, shows a good point that we can maybe think about. And it's also very interesting, like if a strong player has an eval one evaluation, the engine says another thing, I would of course say like we should listen more to like the human evaluation, but to me that doesn't mean that we should just never use the engine ever and just totally discard it. So, I mean, I use, I use the engine on stream today, Kostya. I think you have misinterpreted how dogmatic you think I am about it. <laughs> um, I have always said that, you know, for some people it can be useful. And I've said that there's a danger with it as well. 
Um, and the don't use an engine until you're 2200 or whatever, right? Um, that, if we can go step by step, um, that is uh, a shortcut. It's a shortcut. It's like, it's like on balance, you'll be better served by just not using the engine. That's, that's the easiest and fastest thing I can tell you, right? Uh, when we give people advice, it doesn't necessarily mean we expect them to, that we think that they're going to follow it to the T, right? We're giving the best advice we can. Um, I think that, you know, for, I think that everybody learns differently. Some people can learn a little bit with the engine. Some people can learn a lot, et cetera, right? It's the same thing with playing Blitz. Some people can, be, can get better by playing Blitz. Other people can't. Um, there's a there's a very big danger with using the engine, not just not just that you'll waste your time, but that like you actively learn to turn off your brain and get worse at calculating, right? I think that on average, if I get to tell you two sentences and you're eighteen hundred, the thing I'm best off telling you is like just don't use the engine. Like the the risk is much higher than the potential benefit or reward, right? The situations you mentioned where somebody might be able to learn something with the engine. I mean, that was like somebody who's like working really hard and somebody who honestly sounded like they were about as good as you, not, they didn't sound 1300 or 1600 in your description. Um, so I, I'm not a hundred percent dogmatic or expect people to not do it all. I'm just trying to give the best advice I can in like a shorthand there. And I'm counteracting as well a lot of people doing things in the opposite direction and giving them something to to think about with, with my my opinion on it. Uh, I use the engine on stream to double check things all the time. I actually think that I should use the engine more because people at my level often do and it's something that I neglected and didn't learn to do enough. Um, in general, I will try to solve something first and then use the engine to check it. And usually I'll be good enough to understand whether the engine is agreeing or disagreeing with me and, and why. But I mean, at what level do you think people start being able to learn something from the engine? For me, you know, um, there's gotta be some line, like you talked about 1200. I mean, it's gotta be way higher than that. Like a 1600 is not gonna understand any equal material position where it says plus three. I mean, it's just, that's basically not gonna happen. I, I would put it, yeah, definitely higher than, than 1200, but I'll, I'll give you my example. Um, when I was, probably around like 1800 or so. Okay, I was starting to work on my chess quite hard and I would definitely use the engine when, for example, I would go through a book and some line isn't mentioned or some obvious move to me isn't mentioned. And I'm like, well, why isn't this good? Or or some evaluation is given. I remember going through the Shirov book and uh, he ends at a position where he's down a piece and he's like, Black's attack is obviously crushing, <laughs> you know? And I'm just like, what? And, you know, I, I trust them, but at, I, at the same time, I don't see it, right? And then I check with the engine. I play what I think is the best defense. The engine shows to me, you know, why Shirov is right. To me, I found that a very, very useful component of, of my uh, training, just getting that feedback from the engine, especially when you have a question that's not answered. Obviously, we have a Discord, we have a whole community, but, you know, that that takes a lot more time than just feeding a position into the engine and quickly checking, like, what it thinks. So I feel like if people... Again, do it in a smart way where you first come up with your own ideas and you're checking the engine as like feedback. To me, I think you you can definitely get used from that. Right. And I give that advice too, like all the time on stream. I've mentioned that. Like 
you know, try and figure something out for yourself first, then check it. It's obviously better than not doing that, right? I mean, did you use engines when you were 1600 and 1800? Honestly, they weren't, uh, they weren't yet around. So like, as I was hitting like 17, 1800, I think that's when mm -hmm. engines started becoming a thing. Like, okay, first one was that I used was uh, like Ripka, I think had like just come out. So I was even using like Deep Junior <laughs> back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, but what, I would at, I would use them very sparingly. Sorry? At what rating level were you when Ripka came out or Deep Junior? Ripka, I think, I think I was around 1800 or so. Yeah, well, Ripka was definitely better than 1800, right? So it could give you a bunch of mind-boggling variations. Ripka was good. I mean, it was super GM level. Yeah. No, I mean, those old engines were definitely, like, nonsensical in terms of some of the moves they would suggest. You know, like, if you compare them to today's engines, right, they just look like jokes. Um, okay, but if you compare them to, like, today's GMs, like, they're amazing, right? So what I wanted to ask you, but I guess you use them sparingly, so you may not have much data, is, like, at what level did they start becoming useful to you? Were you able to use them and be like, oh, I learned something, I understood the variation? Basically, you know, I just and, feel like it was once I, I was... Once I was mature enough to kind of like start working with the engine um, in, uh, intelligently. So, mm -hmm. so somewhere around there, like I, I don't remember using it a lot, um, but, but also, yeah, the engines weren't as strong as, as they are today. Like I would be very skeptical of an eval of an engine back then. Like today I would be skeptical of any kind of Ripka eval. Um, sure. but, but Stockfish, like they've, they really have made like insane progress with the engine. Yeah. But my question is just like at what level, I was seeing it from your own experience, you could calibrate at what level it starts becoming useful. Like at what point are you able to learn from it? But okay. I'll take a different tack. Like everybody's got limited time. They're going to do this or that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right. Like, do you honestly think the odds are higher or lower that somebody rated 1800 working for half an hour with the engine or half an hour without the engine, which is going to produce better learning and training for them, right? Like they could use the engine intelligently, right? What, what are the odds they're going to do it in a better way than if they'd worked on their own and that they're going to remember the lessons, et cetera, right? Well, really going to gain from it versus I'm, if they just worked on their own without an engine, like how bad would it be? Is but I'm, really, I'm not comparing like, you know, I'm not comparing 30 minutes of, of them having an engine open and going through a game. Like, I, I don't suggest having the engine open while you're going through a game and then checking every line against the engine to see what the end. Let me make that very clear, because that's actually a huge pet peeve of mine. When people, like, go through these classic books and then they keep an eye on the engine to, like, double check what the author is saying. No, no, read the author's words first. I'm saying use the engine when you have a specific question that you want answered or something specific you don't understand and i was really responding because i well i was thinking that you're just saying like i thought you were saying don't even use the engine in that scenario either because you're just saying like just don't use engines at all in general i think the number of scenarios where the engine is going to be useful to a lower rated player are very very tiny because it has to both provide them an answer that they can understand and they have to remember that answer right in order to remember that answer I think in general, they have to have worked on the question themselves first and only then seen the answer. If you just see an answer and you haven't worked for it, 
think generally very, very rare that you'll absorb it. But again, Kostya, I'm not, don't over, over believe that this is all dogma. I know there's some people whose brains work differently. Someone who will like read some computer lines and like they'll remember them, okay? Most people are gonna remember if they work for something rather than if they get it, right? So often you could work for 30 minutes and never figure out the answer, but get better from having worked versus somebody else who asked the computer and saw what the answer is and then forgot the answer. Like that person will actually not improve as much. Well, yeah, I think we can definitely agree that like working more, just using your own brain and trying to like figure stuff out, I think that that's just helpful. Like regardless of whether you get to the solution or not, like using your brain, trying to calculate stuff, that is gonna be helpful. But yeah, I would, right. I just, I'm fighting against the notion that people should never turn on the engine. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. No, yeah, it's all fine. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm not <laughs> But um but okay, I think I think maybe we're closer than I originally thought on this. Yeah. So that which is good. Um, Jesse, did you want to weigh in at all or? No, no, <laughs> no. And I'll just say my own two cents of it is obvious is that, uh, I mean, I kind of do it when I review my own games on the stream is that full throttle with your own analysis and uh, you might come up with some questions at the very end where you're like, okay, it's these two moves. I'm going to check with the engine because I'm curious, you know, or especially after you've looked at it, maybe with a coach. Sometimes I don't even do that, but there could be moments where you're like, dude, well, you know, let's see what the machine says. So it's not to say the machine doesn't have anything important to say. It's just that when you do your own analysis, if you let the machine in too early, you're not going to be thinking yourself. And what are you training yourself to do? You're training to think for yourself. So simple to my to my mind. It's a very simple argument. Yeah. I mean, I, I see a place where, you know, masters who are trying to cover huge amounts of material could get help from an engine that can give them some answers on questions they've thought about and it can speed things up. That's basically like the advantage of what the engine can do. It can speed things up. Um, it can confirm if you are right or wrong. It can double check your answers for you. Like let's say instead of having a book with solutions at the back, you've just got a bunch of positions. You could pick out just complicated positions from random games you've seen and use those as tactical exercises. But then you don't have an answer key. The engine can be your answer key. But again, you have to be strong enough to understand it, right? But the main value is that it can speed things up quite a bit. For lower rate players, like a 1700 doesn't need to have this insane body of knowledge where they like know the answers to all these positions, right? They just need to be getting better at, at thinking. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's not just a matter of speeding things up. I definitely learned a ton of stuff from engines. You know, like we've all had the experience where the engine gives an evaluation you strongly disagree with. But as you analyze and you analyze, you know, it just proves that it's right. And eventually you have a much better, you know, evaluation of that kind of position. You know, a typical example I think a lot of people have is when sometimes you have an attack, the enemy king is wide open, but there's no immediate threats. And the engine will still say plus five, plus eight. 
because it can already calculate that all your pieces are coming in and it's going to be mates as long you just have to make a couple of improving moves that kind of situation i think like the engine can be super super helpful where it's like just totally you know challenging your thinking of the position and i do think players of all levels can have that experience it's harder if you're low rated but just that question of like does my evaluation match up with the engine can i understand why it doesn't i think that can be a very useful exercise in and of itself yeah yeah again i just think you have to be pretty strong if you're gonna be able to extrapolate why an engine thinks a certain position and attack is plus three or four despite there not being concrete threats yet um yeah I don't know. I think it's not that hard. to. You just spar against the engine. Here's how you do it, folks. You make moves that you would play. You let the mm -hmm. engine play the best move. It crushes mm -hmm. you. Try to understand how it's crushing you. At some point, you know, it's going to start taking your pieces, right? So go back, try a different defense. It's going to crush that too. Eventually, you start to get a feeling for, you know, the resources that the, uh, the engine is seeing. Then switch sides of the board and see if you can crush the engine from the position that it just showed you how to crush. And if you can't, you'll see that you weren't yet strong enough to use the engine. <laughs> That's <funny. laughs> It all fell on hollow ears. If the engine crushes you from the minus three side of it. It's a good, no, that'd be a good test. Um, okay. All right. I think that's it. Uh, that was fun, folks. Uh, our Patreon is open. If you want to uh, submit questions for the future, subscribe at any tier. You can post your question. And uh, yeah. Maybe maybe we were, we'll fight about it one day. We were very impressed with this question. So That's a good one. yeah. <laughs> if if y'all can come up with some more questions like that, we will be very grateful to you. And if you're a friend of this podcast and are not yet in the training program, send us some money. We need it. Kosia had needs avocados. It's inflation. Let's go. Thank you, Jesse. All right, folks. See you next time. <laughs>